0: Technically True, by Tanei Pan. Welcome to Technically True, a podcast about public speaking, developer relations, and technology. I'm your host, Tanei. Today, I'm joined by Mary Tengwell. Hi, Mary.
1: Hi, Tanei. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us. So, Mary works as the Director of Developer Relations at Kamunda. She's also the author of The Business Value of Developer Relations, Mary, tell us a bit more about yourself.
1: Sure, I'd love to. So I've worked with a variety of developer communities over the last 12, 13 years now. Um, started out at O'Reilly Media actually with a journalism background and joined their public relations team. Um, journalism was, was not doing well. When I graduated from school, a lot of the newspapers were laying off their writing staff. And so I took the opportunity to write press releases, kind of similar to news articles, um, and really dove headfirst into the technical world, doing a lot of research about the books that I was writing about, learning a lot about the different people who are in the tech space, the tech industry, who are writing about it, who are interested in it, and kind of from there stumbled into community management and developer relations as I started asking more questions around the idea of How do we know that these topics are the ones that our community is interested in? How do we know that the resources we're putting out there are relevant and helpful and actually beneficial to our audience? And so as I asked more and more of those questions, I became that much more invested in creating content and amplifying content that was really helpful and beneficial to the technical audience that I was serving. So since that time, I've worked for a variety of companies. Um, I've also owned my own business and consulted for companies who are interested in developer relations and what that means and what it does. And these days, I'm, I'm still just as passionate about creating those strong communities for developers, but I'm also really passionate about creating resources for developer relations professionals, um, making sure that people have the ability and and resources that they need to be able to serve that technical community. Um, and honestly, creating a lot of the resources that I wished had been there when I was getting started, so.
0: Cool, wow, that's fascinating. I'm curious to learn about what's your process of creating a DevRel strategy for maybe the year or the quarter, and how do you get started with it?
1: Sure, so the first thing that I need to do in order to create a DevRel strategy is understand the business strategy. I always start with figuring out what are the top company goals. And that might be the company goal for that quarter. It might be for that year. Um, depending on you know the size of your company, the stage of your company, whether it's a, a three person, four person startup or several thousand people, kind of determines, you know, am I looking at what's our goal for this quarter or what's our goal for the next five years? But really figuring out what that is company wide. Um, and then boiling that down to what's the, the primary goal there. So, you know, hey, the, the overarching goal might be a certain amount of ARR or um, expanding the number of customers. And so, how does that then relate to developer relations? What can we do as a developer relations team to further that company goal? Um, And if the company is chasing additional customers or trying to become more profitable, awareness is a big piece of that, right? And so focusing on awareness type goals and awareness type metrics for the DevRel team could be a piece of that. Um, If the company is more focused on reducing churn or um, increasing adoption rates, making sure that the DevRel team is then focused on the developer experience side and really enabling the developers who are getting started, figuring out you know, what's what are the resources that are needed? Um, what are the points of friction that people are running into as they're getting onboarded with our product? And how do we make that that much easier? And then also the engagement piece. So making sure that the not only is the product engaging, but your community is an engaging and and welcoming place for people. Um, So creating a, a platform or an experience or events that people can look forward to where they can connect not only with other community members, but also with your coworkers, getting to know engineers and product managers and other people around the company and creating that truly sticky community that we talk about, uh, where people want to come back because they have friends there and they know who to go to with questions and they want to be involved and want to be engaged in the product to not only receive more resources and find out the news about what's going on, but also to be able to help and give back to that community.
0: Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I recently read your blog post on first, understand the company goals, which I found really interesting. So I was yes. curious about your thoughts on what's a good way to ensure that the company and community goals align with each other.
1: Mm-hmm. So again, going back to, you know, what's what's the company goal? How do we understand what that is first? And then as a result, create the, the developer relations team goals. Um, part of that is just breaking things down in a way that, You understand, you know, my day to day tasks, my work output is at the end of the day impacting the company in these ways. Um, I reference in that article uh, an exercise called Libby Boxes, which is this idea of really breaking down, you know, here's the overarching goal, here's the kind of generic bucket of ways that I can kind of brainstorm and say, okay, you know, if we're aiming for, Um, awareness. We can get there by producing content or speaking at events or things like that. And then the next step down is figuring out a little bit more specifics around what you can do. So we want to create a speaker bureau, right? And help not only internal engineers be speaking more, but also encouraging our external community members to speak more. And so coming up with some very specific experiments and levers and things that you can try to see if it'll impact that that overarching awareness goal. And then that last box is figuring out how do we gauge success? How do we measure success and know whether or not that experiment was as successful as we'd hoped it to be. And the reason why that's so important is because we can't take on too many experiments at once. And so being able to say, you know, hey, our main goal is increasing awareness. And we're going to try these couple experiments during Q1. Let's try those. Let's see how they go. And at the end of, you know, a couple weeks or a couple months, however long that experiment is, being able to then say, yes, this was successful. Let's continue with this. Or no, this wasn't. Let's choose another experiment to go with. Um, And the, the interesting thing there, too, for me, is that in each of those boxes, you kind of see the impact increase in the story that you're telling. So the, the day-to-day work output, right? Did I speak at three conferences this quarter, three events this quarter? Did I produce you know five pieces of content, whether it's a video tutorial or a blog post? Um, those types of, of work output metrics aren't something you're necessarily gonna take to your CEO and say, look what I did this quarter. I wrote five blog posts and I spoke at three events, right? (laughs) But those might be things that you take to your manager and say, hey, in order to help the company uh, or product awareness growth, here's the things that I did to contribute to that. And then your manager can take that information and go, great, based on the events that you spoke at and the blog posts that you wrote and the videos that you produced, here's the number of developers that we reached. Here's the the amount of signups that we got. Here's the increased engagement that we have on social media. Here's how that as a whole impacted the overall awareness. And then they can take those numbers back to the CEO or the board and say, you know, the developer relations team is impacting the the overall company goal of awareness by 30%, right? We grew the amount of awareness in the developer community by 30% this past quarter through a variety of activities.
0: Right, and traditionally, we we chatted about this before once, Um, DevRel teams have been tugged into many different departments and companies like product, Mm -hmm. engineering, marketing, and so on. Is there a wrong way of doing this? (laughs)
1: Uh, I love that your question is, is there a wrong way of doing this and not where should it be? Because I feel like we hear the, where should it be so often? Honestly, I think the only time when it's done wrong is when a devrel team is put within another team and then expected to meet those same goals as the other team. Um, and that's a little vague. So let me let me explain a little bit. Yeah. So there's times when, you know, say DevRel has moved into marketing and marketing's traditional goals are demand gen, so lead generation, mm-hmm. um, signups, web traffic, things like that, right? So if developer relations is moved into marketing and suddenly the only metrics are how many more people are seeing our content or how many leads did we get from this show or from this event or from that Twitch stream, right? Mm-hmm. Then everything is leads focused and none of it is relationship focused. There's no focus on feedback. There's no focus on um making sure that the engineers understand the the bugs or the issues that we're running into and same with if we sit under engineering it might be that you know the traditional um metrics of how many lines of code did you release or how many bugs did you fix or if you're under support how many support tickets did you close right Mm -hmm. the more that we are asked to fulfill the metrics of another team we might as well just be marketing or only sales or only support or only product. Right. Right. And at the end of the day, DevRel is really a mix of all of those departments. We are support to a certain extent, we are marketing to a certain extent, we are product. we are engineering, there are times when we are even sales. Right. (laughs) right? Right. But our metrics shouldn't be the same as as those other departments. So I am a firm believer in developer relations can work well under any department, so long as their value is truly seen and the metrics they're held to are unique to them and not just, this is what the marketing team reports on, you have to do this as well.
0: Right. And have you seen their positioning within the company make an impact on effectiveness of different teams?
1: As far as internal teams or how the DevRel team is effective?
0: As far as how the DevRel team is effective.
1: Mm, yes, absolutely. Um, I think some of this comes from biases that we as DevRel professionals bring to the table. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of um, people who have an engineering background, for instance, who do not want to be labeled as as marketing, right? right. Um, or vice versa, people who come from a more marketing or communications background who go, oh, hang on, but I I don't know if I'm technical enough to be, you know, I don't have an engineering background to be on the engineering team. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's that bit of imposter syndrome sometimes around, you know, that's that's not the right fit for me. I don't feel like I fit in here. Um, and there's also sometimes the stereotypes that we bring with us where we say, oh, I, I don't do... Um, lead generation, right? I don't, I don't want to be a part of the team that does. So I think there's some of that where our effectiveness is impacted, not because we literally can't do what we're supposed to do, but because we bring those biases and stereotypes with us to the table. And so it keeps us mentally from being able to move past that. Um, I think honestly no matter what department we're in, developer relations is working across all departments at all times. And so the only time when we will really be restricted from the company standpoint is if for whatever reason we're told you're on the marketing team, you shouldn't be talking to engineering or you shouldn't be talking to support. Um, If we're required to only work within our team, we aren't able to do our jobs effectively because we can't reach out and, and be... Communicating with the other people across the company, which is a huge part of developer relations.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And you've consulted with a lot of companies on DevRel related topics. And Mm -hmm. from your experience, what has been the biggest reason behind DevRel teams failing?
1: Mm. So the biggest thing, and there's a a quote that I can send over a resource from a few years ago now uh, from David Spinks, where he says, you know, 99% of all Community teams fail because they aren't receiving this, the internal support that they need, and I firmly believe that. So, devrel teams fail not because, you know, you hired the wrong people or because um, they aren't able to do their job. It's that the company is not properly supporting them, and that might be they don't have the the budget to do the things they need to do. It might be they don't have the headcount and the the Amount of people that they need to do the things that are on their plate. Um, it could also be that the company just doesn't understand the value. And so, you know, the DevRel team could be doing exactly what they need to be doing to, to serve the community and serve the company. But if the leadership doesn't agree or doesn't understand or chooses to ignore the unique type of value that we bring to the table they won't be able to succeed because you really need that top-down buy-in and the the understanding that the community is a valuable part of the success of the business in order for the team to be successful.
0: Right. And from the other side of the equation, from a person who is looking to apply at maybe different DevRel teams, Mm -hmm. what are some warning signs that they can spot during the interview process or looking at Mm -hmm. the job posting to prevent getting into teams like this?
1: Absolutely the first thing that I always say is if there isn't a clear goal stated in the job description, the company likely doesn't know what their intent is with the team, right? Mm -hmm. So making sure that the the job description says somewhere that the goal of our DevRel team is X or the goal for this role is X or here's your specific responsibilities. Um, The more specific the job description is, the better the chances that the company actually knows what they're looking for the times when I've seen job descriptions that are very vague or are perhaps very specific, but have, you know, bullet pointed list of 25 items that this role is now responsible for, right? Where, I mean, all of us have seen those descriptions where it's like, well, that's, that's four different people's jobs. So are you hiring a full team and you want all four of us, or do you expect me to do this alone? How do you, how do you expect this to work? Um so that's kind of an easy way to be able to to weed out open jobs based on the job description alone. As far as interviews go, the biggest thing I ask is why? Why do you want to develop a developer relations team? Why do you want a developer advocate? Why do you want a community? What goals do you feel that's going to fulfill for your company? And if the leadership, if the hiring manager, the you know, C-suite individual, the CTO, the CEO If they can't answer those questions of why are you doing this, they don't have it figured out and chances are you'll join that company and bounce between departments or your goals will be changed every quarter or every week. um, And you won't be able to establish, here's the value that I bring to the table and here's why I'm doing this. Um, I have seen some people be successful in roles that are very undefined or ill-defined, but it usually takes a very strong personality. Uh, someone who's very willing to step up and say, look, you don't have this figured out. I know what I'm doing. Let me do my job. And then you take the risk of, you know, making sure that you fit well enough and your strong personality fits well enough with the rest of the company that someone isn't going to go, who do you think you are? I don't need you here and lets you go because they don't like your your assertiveness.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. True. And from a perspective of founders or leadership teams, what advice would you give to them so that they can set their, their teams up for success?
1: Mm-hmm. I go back to the why question again, right? Sure. Simon Senek has a, a great TED talk around it, a right. good book around it as well, that, you know, start with why. Why is it that you feel like you need a community? If you want a developer advocate just because your VC told you you need a dev advocate or, you know, your number one competition has a dev rel team. And so we need a dev advocate too. Like, no, it's, it's the wrong reason. <laughs> Ask yeah. the question again um, and really figuring out. And it might be that you, you don't know exactly what the role is going to look like, but even acknowledging that is a step further than most companies take. Um, and so being willing to say, look, we know that we need to do better by our developer community. How do we actually do that on a day-to-day basis? I don't know. That's why we're hiring somebody, right? Yeah. And that's a huge step for people who are applying. If you talk to a company and you ask, hey, why are you hiring for this position? Why do you want a community? And they say anything along the lines of, you know, we need to enable our community better. We we know that there's gaps that we need to fill and they all come back to developer experience or developer awareness or developer engagement, but we don't know what that looks like and we're looking for someone to come in and do that, that's a huge growth opportunity for anyone who's been in developer relations for a few years who wants to be able to take those risks and hasn't been able to do that in the past. So I'd say for leadership who's not sure whether they need developer relations, figure out that why question first um, and then start to figure out, okay, you know we know that we need to Enable our developer community better. Great. What does that mean? What does that look like? Talk to other companies who have successful teams and don't ask them what they're doing now, but ask them what they did when they were your size so that you can figure out, here's the steps that I need to take to get to where Twilio is today or where you know the Microsoft developer relations team is or anything like that when you look at a successful team.
0: Right. And because of the nature of DevRel, people working in this industry are prone to burnout. A lot of Mm -hmm. conferences, talks, so much happening. How can teams mitigate this risk?
1: It's a great question. Um, I definitely think there's a few different things that can cause burnout. One is constantly moving, right? Constantly changing um, the context switching is a big part of it. Not being able to really focus on one thing for a long amount of time. Um, part of it also is that there's a lot of people who feel like they constantly need to be on, whether that's online, whether that's at events, um, keeping up with the conversations that are happening in the forums or in external communities and making sure they don't miss things. And so there's, there's a couple of things that I, as a manager do in particular to make sure that my team's not burning out. Um, the first is just making sure that people don't have too much work on their plate. And that sounds very simple (laughs) and yet is often not. Um, At the beginning of each quarter, I sit down with each of my teammates and go, okay, what, what projects would you like to work on this quarter? Where do you think your time is best spent? What are the issues that need to be handled for the community, for the company, for our coworkers? And then we figure out, you know, how much time is this all going to take? I make sure that we don't book more than 80% of their time for each quarter And the reason why I draw the line at that 80% is because there's always going to be other tasks that pop up, right? There's a, uh, we need to hop on a customer call to explain something for an open source extension or um, there's a last minute speaking opportunity that popped up or whatever. But making sure that we have time for those items that come up out of the blue. So we're not already, you know, Hey, I'm booked at hundred percent for this quarter and there's still going to be other things that come up and suddenly I'm, I'm full and, and overflowing at this point. Um, so that's the first thing is just making sure that my team doesn't have too much on their plate at any one time. And then also figuring out how to prioritize that work. Um, making sure that there's, you know, a good amount of things that are interesting to my team. Um, that are necessary for the community, that are also helpful for the company, and that there's a good mix of those things to keep people interested in what they're doing and excited about their jobs. Because often if we're excited about what we're doing and engaged in the projects, our plates might be full, but it's not as much of a drag. It's not as energy consuming, right? We have the energy to do the things that are on our plate because we're excited about what we're doing. So making sure that there's always that an, enough excitement and, and motivation to do the work.
0: Right. How do you account for learning as a part of a day-to-day activity mm-hmm. in Devra?
1: Absolutely. That's a great question. So there's some of that that you have to build into the workflow, right? You have to build that into the process of, of what you're working on. So there's a lot of things that, you know, the the task for this quarter might be Evaluate the new community extensions that came out, or evaluate the new version of Python, or learn about this new framework that was just released. Um, and that might be a task for the quarter. And it's not necessarily related to, you know, write a new getting started guide or record a new video or something like that. But it's just as important of a piece of our job. And so making sure that that learning is built into the tasks for the quarter built into the to-do list rather than on top of the things that are
0: already required. Right, makes sense. And I'm really curious to know what your DevRel toolkit looks like. What sort of different tools and products are you using?
1: Sure, so it's a timely question because I'm actually in in the midst of this conversation with my team right now. There's a few different things that we use. So first of all, our team is spread all over the world. Um, I'm based in San Francisco. I've got a few other teammates scattered across the United States. We've got some in the UK, some in Germany, one in New Zealand. So we're really, we're spread around the world. So part of our toolkit is specific to the fact that we're a distributed team. Um, we use a Slack bot called Geekbot every morning. Um, every time, you know, one of us logs in to start our day, we fill out a little standup and part of it is here's what I'm working on today and part of it is get to know each other better. So there's a random question every day that's in there that might be, um, you know, hey, where's what's your favorite local restaurant or what's your favorite thing to do on vacation um, or what what new interesting thing did you discover this week? Um, and so it, it lets us kind of keep tabs on what each other's working on but also lets us get to know each other a little bit more. So that's, that's the first one that we start out with every day. Um, We make heavy, heavy use of Airtable to keep track of CFPs or conference talks, things that are coming up. Um, We have a Kanban board that we move things through as, you know, hey, I submitted this, now I'm waiting, okay, this one was accepted, now I have to create the talk kind of a deal. We also use Trello and the Kanban boards there to keep track of all of the various tasks that we're working on. And that lets us be transparent in our status updates for ourselves as a team, but also across the company as we're figuring out, you know, here's the next step with this project. Hey, I need a review on this blog post from people and we'll move it to the two review column. Um, And again, as a distributed team that lets us keep up to speed and up to date on what's happening and what we need from other people on the team, without having to rely on, you know, hey, sent you an email three days ago with a link to this Google Doc. Can you go look at this thing and leave comments <laughs> and feedback? And right. Right. As far as Devrel tools in particular, there's two that we're exploring and starting to use more now. Um, one is Orbit, right. And it's essentially a CRM, a, a, a way for us to keep track of our contacts. Um, and really keep an eye on what's what's going on. Um, how are people engaging with us? How are they um, handling, you know, pull requests that are coming in? How often are they submitting pull requests? Are they talking to us on Twitter? All of those types of things. Um, and so we're keeping track of, you know, who our most engaged community members are on there. Um, the other one is Crunch. So Crunch Data uh, recently released a new version that you can go in and upload um, here's the content we recently published. And so it's an opportunity to say, you know, here's things that we posted on dev.to or on our own blogs um, on YouTube, on Twitch, on these other various websites, Mm -hmm. and then keep track of how well those are performing with various engagement metrics, um, both with, you know, how many likes did it get? um, How many, comments to get as a result. Um, but all the way to, you know, Hey, we, we posted a live stream on Twitch and here's the five members that returned from last time. Um, which is now counting the, the repeat engagement and showing that we're really continuing to attract the same people, which is great. Um, and so those, those two tools have been really helpful to figure out, engagement metrics, um, as well as, you know, where we need to be spending more time. So that's helped a lot with prioritization, as well as figuring out what the next steps are and and where to figure out where our time is best being spent.
0: Wow, that's great. Finally, um, any advice or words of wisdom for folks looking to start their DevRel career? Hmm.
1: I love this question, um, because I think there's so many different avenues that people can take to get to developer relations. Um, I think the thing that I, I emphasize the most is get involved in communities, um, whether that's open source communities and you're contributing code or documentation, um, whether that's a, a local community and you're volunteering to be a moderator on a forum, um, whether it's just sitting back and observing how different communities handle different situations, but really getting an idea of, why you like being a part of communities, Um, the the pros and cons of being in charge of those communities, because that's a, there's a big difference between being involved in a community and being in charge of one, (laughs) Um, but really exploring a lot of those different options, right? Do you enjoy writing blog posts? Do you enjoy recording videos? Do you like speaking at conferences and trying to figure out, you know, there's so many different directions you can go in with developer relations. What are the areas that you really enjoy and um, are really good at, and kind of honing some of those skills to better understand? You know, am I a developer advocate, or am I a community builder, or am I a um, technical writer, right? And being able to kind of say, okay, what do each of these unique positions look like? I really love creating tutorial videos and submitting PRs and helping the community out cool maybe I'm a, a developer advocate or a developer experience engineer um, and really figuring out which which of those areas are your strong suits which ones you really enjoy um, and then learning how to kind of hone those skills and look for the jobs that are best suited for you
0: cool Mary thank you so much for joining us it was a pleasure having you in the show
1: yeah, this was awesome. I loved having these conversations with you. Thanks.
0: Thank you. And thank you all for tuning in. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to Technically True, a podcast about public speaking, developer relations, and technology. Hosted and produced by Tane Pan.